You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast. I had to go to CBA school, salary cap school, and tampering school. Can't say, hey, I want you to come to the Lakers, even though I'm going to be wink, winking like. <laughs> On basketball and other shenanigans. I mean, good for you. I mean, you probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> you don't have that clutch connection. I have a job to do. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best. I said, hey, I said, hey, yo, Jermichael, he turns around. I'm like, you know Lakers coming for that ass this year, right? Uh-huh. Eddie Sun. Some voters just like to be contrarian, you know, whether it's for clicks, whether it's for just because you they like to be, be contrarian. contrarian. Yes, you do. That's true. I feel like Eddie going to be the type to be like, case. MVP, James Harden. We're not against rap. We're not against rappers. But we are against those analytics to analytics. And Julio Martinez. Braun just frustrates me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. You've been hyping up this game. Obviously, it's a big game. He he looks juice for it. Bro, just score the ball. Everybody just thinks I'm a hater. That is blasphemous. And and, and you know what's that reminiscent of? That was, you know, MVP Steph season. Oh, right? here we go. He was getting here we go. Game. All right, y'all. It's been a he great episode. Fourth quarter. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball ball. Welcome to the Game 4 recap edition of Hoop and Holler. I'm your host, Eddie Sun, joined, as always, by Julio Martinez and Reagan Griffin. The smartest um, man in the world, Reagan Griffin. Whoa. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, the first close game of the series, I guess you can say. Like, th- this is kind of the real one that, th- the real first one that you might be able to say kind of felt like the game was um uh you know like could could go either way for for most of the game but at the same time it's almost hard to say that it was that 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 it was that um like it wasn't that that biting but i guess we finally have have our first game of the series where we, we where we really feel like there's some sort of anticipation um your guys first thoughts yeah i don't really know and i know it was a really really close game uh up until like the very end but the weird thing is is that i come away from this game having much less to say than i did from the other games that were kind of blowout so i I don't know i don't i don't really have much to say i mean braun played you know a pretty good game uh kcp obviously stepped up he was that third guy that we need uh, tonight, the Lakers always have a substitute third guy whenever we play well. Um, but I guess my biggest takeaway is, is that for AD to really assume that role that we need him to take, not not necessarily just for this series, but moving forward, he really needs to be assertive and, and you know demand the ball, even if it's away from LeBron. And I, I don't know, man. You, you can't let yourself – we talked about this during the game. You cannot let yourself become Kevin Love in these situations. You're a good three-point shooter. Shoot when you're open. I have no problem with that. But my issue is, you know, when, you, when you're when you running pick and rolls and you have Jimmy Butler on you or anybody who, you know, you have an advantage on, stick your butt in the paint and ask, demand for the ball. Don't ask for the ball, even if it's from Braun. Because, I, I mean, Braun, you know, as good as a, of a driver as he is, you know, he was shooting some bad shots tonight. Um but yeah, I don't know. That that that's just one thing. AD has to be more assertive and demanding of the ball. Hmm. I I'm with you to some extent because they, LeBron did have some bad plays, and you guys know my theory 
um, on LeBron and that he can't really shift it into that last gear that we're so used to seeing from him. I just don't think that's something he has in his bag anymore. But I'm hesitant to want to go to AD in the post to win games because I know he's not the dude. Even when he gets the ball, he's not going to assert himself and impose himself on the guy. But do you think he's more dangerous there or in the corner? That's my point. If you're not even going to shoot, at least be a decoy, and he's a good enough passer to... The thing is, if you put him in the post, that kind of clogs the lane for LeBron a little bit. And if if I have the ball in LeBron's hands, I want him to drive. But when I talk about post, I'm not talking about low post. I'm talking about mid post, being at the... AD's favorite spot, arguably, is almost at the wing or... You know, at the elbow or free throw line. That, that's what I'm talking about. Getting him more engaged in the paint rather than just standing in the corner. Even then, that allows the opportunity for a help defense, right? And, and LeBron's obviously going to make the smart play. And I can understand your, your idea because it's almost like you want to see AD just involved in some capacity. Um, almost like you'd be saying, Eddie, like, you know, let's run some offense here. Let's not just play iso ball um, and throw everybody else to the wayside and have LeBron do everything. Um I don't know. I still don't look at that Lakers team right now and see a singular player that I say, that's our guy that we go to in the clutch. Um, and LeBron's had his clutch moments throughout the, the, the series and the playoffs and his career. Same with AD. Same with, God, Danny Green, I guess. Like, he's had his clutch moments. Um, but well, I mean, that's there's not really anyone that, that I feel confident in, like, yeah. yes, give him the ball. I, I'll take win or lose, win, lose, or draw. I'm putting the ball in his hands every single time. There's not a player like that on the Lakers right now. Yeah, that's why we need a guard or like a, just a scoring, you know, e- even if he comes off the bench. But someone, you know, even if it's a Spencer Dinwiddie type, someone like that who I can trust in to, you know, get a bucket. Mm. I do want to recall something that, uh, Reagan, you brought up. Me? I think... Like before the season even started, maybe I forget if it was this early, but you were talking about that you'd rather have a third guy, or or you were talking about that how this Lakers parts like these parts around LeBron and AD it may be confusing mm-hmm. on a given night because you don't know which third guy is going to step up. Yeah, but for the most part, I think we've seen throughout the bubble and throughout this series that there's always been a third guy that steps up at least. Sometimes there's also a fourth and a fifth. Yeah, but. On any given game, you, you get what you get from LeBron, you get what you get from AD, but you don't know whether it's coming from Rondo or from Kuzma, Kuzma or from Markeith Morris. Or um, Avery Bradley when he was playing. That too. Um, I'm not going to say Danny Green because he hasn't showed up all, all, all playoffs long. But in this game, it was KCP, and um, he really gave a, a great effort making shots, um, showing a little bit more to his game than just 3 and D. Um, you know, making some dribble moves, passing out to the perimeter when when he when he gets into the paint, doing all of that, um, all of that is added stuff. And I think on any given game, you you get the contribution from a third person. And really, given you know Bron and AD, that's that you know that that's all you need from your surrounding pieces, even if they might not be the best. Um, it's almost like you have so many bench pieces out there that you can almost count on. At least one of them, you know, to, to step up on any given night. And on this night, it was uh, KCP that really uh, came up big, especially in the late moments. Even in... I don't consider the Lakers to be a team that has a rotating third guy. Because when I think of a third guy, I'm thinking of... And maybe this is because we went into this big three era of basketball where you had 
um, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh who could get his own. And you had, uh, you know, Curry, Clay, and KD, all of which in some capacity could get their own. I don't even feel like the Lakers wait, have wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. Don't upset Eddie because to him, the big three is Draymond. Not I mean, Clay. even if we want to say Draymond, Draymond's <laughs> a guy I'm who not, can initiate. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, right. I'm not mad at that. I mean, even if, like, either way, if we want to say it's Clay or it's Draymond, either one of them are uh, initiating something offensively. The Lakers' third guy is just whoever's hitting their shots that night. It's a drive-in kick, and then whoever's hitting their open threes, that's who ends up being the third guy. Like you said, KCP did have a couple of times where he drove the ball and hit some nice layups, but like uh, for all intents and purposes, the third guy on the Lakers team is just whoever happens to be hot that night. Um, that's not a third guy to me. What we need is a third guy who can initiate and get their own offensively. Um, and obviously, this not need, because this team's in my by my estimation, going to go win a championship right now. So you have what you need at your disposal. But what I think this team would have benefited from is, you know, for Kyle Kuzma to flourish into the guy that I thought he would at one point. Or um, you were talking about a Drew Holiday, a Victor Oladipo, a Brandon. Like, not obviously you can't get those guys, but somebody of that mold who can go get their own offense in those moments where AD doesn't want to initiate and LeBron has a bad matchup or something like that. We need a – not need, but, you know, it'd be nice to have a third guy. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm greedy, man. I want – let's go get – let's go get Kawhi. Let's go get Kawhi. I know he's regretting his decision. Um, on the flip side, I feel like if you're Miami, you got to be really disappointed after this game because um, this was more than winnable for them, but they didn't make their shots. Um, 42% from the field, they were 34% from three. And I mean, throughout this series, they've been routinely outshot from distance by the Lakers. And I think part of that is unexpected because Miami was one of the league's best, maybe the league's best, I think you know, percentage-wise from deep, and and the Lakers were kind of middle of the pack. But you can also chalk this up to a Lakers defense that's been really aggressive and really disciplined on the perimeter in terms of chasing Duncan Robinson, um, really, like, showing hard on on Tyler Hero coming off screens. But at the same time, it's like Miami had some open shots that they didn't hit, and, um, you know, given that these are three-point shots, you you just hit two, it would have been a a, a tie game. If you hit three... More, it would have been, you know, three points. Obviously, it doesn't work out like that in, in, in you know, in, in real life. But it's just got to be disappointing for Miami where your shooters have all this confidence throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. And then now you get to the biggest stage and uh, it's like they forget how to make them. Yeah, it's really weird because the Lakers all throughout the season were uh, one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, you know, teams defending against the three. And we're missing Avery Bradley. So it's just been weird seeing that throughout these playoffs that the Lakers have actually been a really, I'm more than solid, really really good defensive team from the perimeter, chasing guys uh, uh, and defending guys like James Harden, even though that was more of a double, wasn't, you know, just guys matched up one-on-one. But the Lakers, yeah, yeah, to, to your point, Eddie, they, they've been doing an incredible job throughout these playoffs and obviously in this series. When you think about it, like it's just one of those things you get into the playoffs. You can sit down and really study your opponent and, and see how they operate. Um, the Lakers weren't great at chasing guys during the year, but I don't think that they really 
took the time out to sit down and study how each individual team was getting their guys open shots. And when you have the opportunity to do that over the course of a series, obviously you're going to be a little bit better at it. This is a smart Lakers team. That's why I think you see minutes from guys like Rondo, from Alex Caruso, some of the higher IQ players on the Lakers because they know how to be in the spots where you need them to be and just make those guys hero and ducking a little bit more uncomfortable than they would normally be. Um, but yeah, it is kind of unfortunate because those guys were, were, you know, regardless of whether or not they were uncomfortable, they didn't need a ton of space to pull them off. It's just a, one of those things. What do you always say? I hate, I hate it when you say it, but sometimes it does boil down to a make or miss league. It, it does. Um, but I think this is where Frank Vogel's expertise on the defensive end has been kind of really apparent and also underappreciated. Remember when they trashed us for that hire? Remember when they were I, trashing us? Yeah. Who <laughs> Vogel. Vogel, go ahead, man. I mean, I, all I'm saying is that Frank Vogel, when he was in Indiana, was a really great defensive coach. Um, and even though he's playing like a totally different system and in a totally different league context now, like, you know, he doesn't have Roy Hibbert and you can't play a Roy Hibbert type player. Um, I think he really knows how to effectively, if not scheme defenses, but just simply um, tune the right kind of personnel to the right areas in terms of the defensive end because I don't think he'll go out there and throw you crazy things like like a zone or you know like a like a box in one like a Nick Nurse but what he will do is um and, and you can see it with the perimeter defenders he'll tell them you got to show hard you know off screens you you, re- you got to like chase them tight on the hip right like you got to trail and then um it obviously helps when you have talented defensive personnel like Anthony Davis to like help in the paint but you know like putting them all in the right places and getting them all on the same page is something that um, not not a lot of coaches, head coaches, I think, can do defensively. But Frank Vogel's experience there really helps them, and it's helped them throughout the year. There's a reason why they've been, you know, the second best defensive team in the league um, throughout the regular season and, and in the playoffs. Yeah, he's been definitely one of the more underrated coaches of the year. Uh, and credit to the Lakers front office and Rob Palinka for not just going with. You know, missing out on Ty Lue, missing out on, uh, what's his name from? Monty Williams. Monty Williams. Uh, missing out on those guys and not just automatically going with Jason Kidd, who's a big name. He obviously has head coaching experience. And, you know, looking past Frank Vogel's re- most recent, you know, coaching stint with the Orlando Magic, which went pretty badly, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it's not all on him. The team obviously wasn't a great team, but... You know, looking past all that and still not going with the big name, which, you know, they always the media always criticizes the Lakers for doing and for hiring in-house, mom-and-pop shop. We heard all that. Uh, but, yeah, credit to the Lakers front office and Rob Palenka for, for that hire. He, he's really been underrated this year. And I think it must be said, too. I want to say two things. First of all, I don't think it's exclusively Frank Vogel. Let's give a go ahead and give a shout out to Lionel Hollins too, because I'm sure in some capacity he had a hand in that. That dude was at the forefront of some really, really dominant Memphis Grizzlies teams, and uh, that those defenses were really good. So I'm sure that you see obligatory obligatory Memphis shout out. Got to do it every episode, but yeah, shout out Lionel Hollins. I'm sure you had something to do with it as well. Um, shout out Phil Handy. He kind of, you know, he's just, you know, I think he's a good player development guy. But what I want to say is on, on the thing that you brought up, Eddie, um, about those little adjustments that Vogel makes or Lionel Holland makes or whoever makes it. One of those was Anthony Davis on Jimmy Butler tonight. And I think that showed, um, or that had a pretty decent effect on how we did. Jimmy Butler had a darn, darn, Jesus Christ, what is it? I'm glitching today. He had a damn good game. 
But, you know, Anthony Davis was able to stifle him to some extent, which I think, you know, not frustrated him, but made it a little bit harder on him throughout the course of the game. Um, I think all of that um, is is where you, you would like Jimmy Butler to be as aggressive as he was in Game 3. Right, and that was one of my points, was remember, go at Anthony Davis, try to get him into some foul trouble. But, like, I don't, I'm not even sure that um, putting Anthony Davis on Jimmy Butler altered anything for him um clearly there were some times where he had some difficulty like the the last uh play of the game where he got blocked by anthony davis but mm-hmm. at the same time i've kind of felt this way about jimmy butler throughout the 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 bubble and, and throughout the season where um and i mean obviously I've, I've come around on the idea that you know jimmy butler despite not shooting threes with with any sort of like comfort um that that he's like become a subpar offensive player um no, he's been really great in the bubble and in the finals too. But at the same time, there's just for whatever reason, um, at times like a lack of assertion from him. And we saw that in Game Three when he has his pedal to the metal a hundred percent of the time. We know what he can do, and I'm not exactly sure why he didn't quite have it at that level this game. He kind of reverted to, um, you know, taking a step back, not being as aggressive as I think he can be. But I mean, now now they're in an elimination scenario, right? If there's they they can't lose another game. I'd be surprised if Jimmy Butler just doesn't give a hundred percent of himself um, for the next however many games they play. Mm. I, I saw a tweet. I forget who it was, um, but it, it's basically said that the Heat are performatively unselfish, almost to the point where it hurts them at times. Like the overpassing. The it's funny because lack that, of assertion from that Jimmy Butler is very reminiscent of. The Warriors. Sometimes. Oh God! Obligatory <laughs> Golden Obligatory. State Warriors <laughs> reference. Sure. I mean, like it's not um, it's it's not coincidental that Andre Iguodala are also both of these teams, and and that and that's a player where along with Jimmy Butler at times, um, for for whatever reason, like they have shot opportunities for them, but they they it's almost like they prioritize the pass opportunity or the the chance of getting a pass off over the shot, which is. Weird. It's not bad per se because again, most most players are wired to get their own, right? Most players are wired to get a bucket. But sometimes, you know, it's like scoring is the most important thing in the game, and it's like if Jimmy Butler can get you forty points like he did in Game Three, it shouldn't be that he's not even coming close to those number of shot attempts and that you know number of points. Yeah, he definitely should have been more aggressive, and he's good at those shots where you know he's driving. Uh, uh, into the paint and, you know, he stops on a dime, turns around, you know, jump mid-range, 10-foot jumper. He's good at those shots. And for the most part, I'd say he had the same looks or most of the same looks, you know, that he had in that 40-point performance. But he, I, I guess he just wasn't taking the shots today. And that is disappointing to see, especially from your best player. You, As the team, you need and, you, you know, you want your best player to be taking those shots and for him to be aggressive. Um, because, you know, when he's aggressive and he's making his shots, the team, you know, they they not only watch him, you know, perform well, but they develop that swagger. And, and that's what, you know, the Miami Heat team, you know, that, that's what they kind of need. So it was disappointing, but let's not, you know, I, I guess he is an unselfish player at Heart and he did play a good game tonight. I, I don't know what he get, what he had twenty. I mean he had 12, 20, 8, 20, 10, and nine something. Like ten that. and nine, yeah. So I mean he did play a really good game, but th- that's the only thing. That's the only criticism that I have for him. 
Yeah, uh, fifth, uh, what was it, 15 or 16 shots? Um, uh, 17. 17? That, that's not enough. That's not enough. I need you to put up at least... 25. Tw- yeah, 25 if you're Jimmy Butler, just because that you are the primary source of offense for that team because the Lakers are doing such a good job of shutting everything else down. Um, how do you guys think Bam looked tonight? He looked, I think he looked as good as he could have looked. I don't think he looked really hampered at all. It kind of looked like his comfortable self. Um, I don't think he looked as good as he did against Boston, but that's just because he's playing against uh, a tougher team and, and against Anthony Davis. But Bam's next step, which is also going to be for the benefit, not only for him, but for Miami, is for him to be aggressive from the elbow, from wherever he catches the ball. He needs to be aggressive on the offensive end. That, that's his next step. It, it felt to me like, you know, throughout the season, even throughout the playoffs, they were using Bam as somewhat of a hub of the offense. It didn't think, I didn't feel like they used that as much as they normally did tonight for whatever reason, whether it was Eric Spolster trying to pace him back into the game. But, you know, I didn't get to see the normal, you know, Bam making the decisions for the offense like, I, like you normally would out of the heat. I don't know. Like, he, he was still the initiator for a lot of um, – Dribble handoff action, screen actions, all, all sorts of stuff like that. I just think the Lakers have been guarding that so well because, I mean, if you're the Lakers, that really is like the first thing on the on the scouting mm-hmm. report, right? Uh, but they're just guarding that so well where they can squeeze the space between the screen and, you know, the, the shooter so well. And then also trail on Bam uh, and, and, you know, make sure that he doesn't get a free lane to the rim. Um, it's one of those things where because, like, he's not exactly the most refined player like he's already extremely skilled for a big but he's not Joel Embiid out there he's not Jokic um when you can zone in on him on defense and limit the actions that involve him you can kind of cap the 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 potential of his game per se that being said I still think he had a pretty good game and I think uh getting his feet under him this game was good it clearly he clearly looked a little rusty like missing some free throws looking kind of tired um early in the game but um, if he's good to go for Game 5, which um, there's no reason he shouldn't be, I think that'll help him. Um, and then also Goran Dragic, um, I think he was trying to play this game, but um, they showed him like pregame. He tried to give it a go, but it just clearly wasn't working there. And, and that's a guy that I think this game, more than any any other game, it's really been seen that he, he is missed because um, like everyone else on this Miami team on the offensive end just couldn't really get anything going to the basket. Um Kendrick you know. Nunn looked terrible, terrible. Like I like to the point where I question. Not only do you deserve minutes or, and, and run, I, I question. Yeah, I mean, basically well, that. I, I mean, I, Goran I question, would have those minutes. That's what I'm even saying. Even then, it's like dude, maybe like I don't even want to you in there. You're, you're hindering whether or not you know I need a point guard in there. You're hindering me more than you're helping but the me. Problem I'm gonna have to find a different way. You're gonna you're gonna need minute. Uh, like someone to take the rest minutes of Tyler. Hero and and Duncan, right? Like, and you don't have any other guard on that team at this point. You don't. I just you're you're hurting me. Like I I don't know if it's a thing to where like, I need to do? put you play Andre Iguodala to to <laughs> initiate the offense because we've seen him do that in certain spots, but it's genuinely a hindrance to that. I, I mean, shoot, let me go I look mean, at his what, plus minus. I think he had. An awful, awful, awful. But like, game. what would you do? Would you like put Iguodala at point and run Derrick Jones in there instead? Derrick Jones yeah, wasn't to. even suited. He wasn't suited tonight. Is he but, hurt? I don't know, but he was in street clothes. He was yeah. in Miami Heat I mean, polo. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think I would initiate. Uh, I would find one of my other guards or put plug in Andre Iguodala in there. 
because it's not working with none. He was, a, I mean, minus four isn't even all that bad. I thought it was worse, but two for 11 from the field, he would get himself, he would dribble himself into some really, really awkward positions and he, like, essentially funneled straight into AD to where he had no shot and he still would try to take the shot. It was ugly, man. And Kendrick Nunn's a dude. You can't really blame him. He, Throughout the bubble, he hasn't really been getting that many minutes anyways. And so, then, that I mean, now's not the time to screw up then. If I have to go down to an eight-man rotation, I mean, we're trying to win a championship I mean, here. it's already an eight-man rotation. If I have to go down to a seven-man <laughs> rotation, I'm going to pull a Houston Rockets. I mean, what did the Houston Rockets do when Daniel House was out? They said, okay, well, we're down to seven guys, and we're going to run our seven guys. And that mean, didn't work, right? But, like, I, I feel like you would rather... You know, play guys more minutes than you would like to, then put a guy out there that's hurting your team. I mean, I think Solomon Hill. Oh, I mean, again, that's like, the only guy. At, at that point, it's like your options <laughs> are, you know, Myers, Leonard, Chris Silva. Like, no, it's only yeah, it's only Solomon Hill, Chris Silva, Kezi Okpala. He's a rookie, and yeah. Gabe Vincent. <laughs> Haven't heard of that dude. But that's what I'm saying. It's like it's unfortunate because. If Goran was healthy, Kendrick wouldn't be getting this kind of run anyway. If you have to put him out there, then don't have him handling the rock and initiating the offense. Which is which is a problem because that's kind of how that offense is built. That you're gonna have him running off screens and you're gonna have him working with Bam on those plays, but um, he doesn't quite have the the finesse or that kind of um, feel for the game yet, where it's kind of, it's really catching up to him. You know, in the series. I mean, you can't keep... What do I like to keep saying? Don't beat the dead cow. Quit beating the dead cow. It's not working. Try something else. I mean, if you have to throw Kendrick Nunn minutes out there, let him play off ball a little bit more and stop playing on ball because, you know, that those... I think we can all agree, like, those were some well, ugly I mean, minutes, think about it. Does anyone even play off ball in Miami? I mean, everyone handles the ball, but if you're going to put him in actions, um, I would limit his ability to make decisions I, I would have him playing t- things where he's not really um, making the decisions more like setting the screens or doing the cuts things that are kind of set within the offense rather than having me making but, I mean, that, that's decisions so tough though because Miami's entire offense is built on players that can be multifaceted that can you know read situations and respond accordingly whether that's you know to cut to relocate you know to to, to sprint you know off a screen to go up for a shot to pass out of it like I mean, that's tough, but if it's like, are we going to sit back and take our L and just concede the championship and watch Kendrick Nunn throw the minutes into the I mean, toilet think, every time, or are we going to try to make an adjustment? I think their best possible option is hope that Kendrick plays like game one Kendrick Nunn, where he looked at least okay, because otherwise you really have nothing out there in terms of guard creation. I mean, the definition of insanity, man. You can't keep doing the same thing expecting different results. If Kendrick Nunn is not producing, then... But you find an alternative. But it's like you need a viable alternative. Okay, Jimmy gonna have to cough up more minutes, or Andre Iguodala is gonna have to handle the ball more, or something, man. Because I like Kendrick Nunn but at like, this I point. Like it's, it's, looking... not, it's not even a question about handling the ball more or playing more minutes. Is that um, you're just out of fresh bodies? And again, the way Miami runs their offense, unless you're asking him to abandon the entire principles they've set up the entire season. They're not going to be able to hide him in the corner or, or hide him anyhow. Well, right. I'm saying is every person on that offense making decisions that are integral to what the what happens on offensive possession? And yeah, that's how Miami plays. Right? Mm. I mean, I mean, Hula, you can back me up on this, right? Yeah, the, everyone everyone's always involved in that offense. There's a difference between being involved and making decisions, though. I don't think that everyone on the court is making decisions that that dictate an offensive possession. 
Uh, you have guys I, who are screeners. You have guys who are cutters. You guys have run around. I, I will say, I will say, guys who are not the star player, you know, other than Jimmy Butler, uh, do feel more empowered, more so than the average role player to you know make a certain decision on certain plays because they they do spread the ball around, and it's not like Duncan Robinson is a just you know catch and shoot shooter. He you know he legit you know runs around, gets handoffs. You know, drives into the, into the paint sometimes, and you know, kicks it out sometimes. So he's not. They, they have guys who you know are very involved in the offense. Of course, but what I'm saying is, it's like if you have a dude who has clearly showed he's not ready to handle this sort of burden, are you going to keep trying to thrust him into the limelight and saying, but, "Well, I know you haven't been able to do this, but I'm going to try it again." But in the regular season, adjust? he. Sh- I mean, he showed that he could for like two seconds. I mean, he was for a few months. Yeah. I mean, have we did Kendrick Nunn at the beginning of the season? Sure, he popped off. At the end of the season, was anyone talking about Kendrick Nunn? Was he in the Rookie of the Year conversation? He got I mean, third. Yeah, enough to get third. <laughs> in this year, I mean, shoot, I, I would argue that you know PJ Washington deserved that spot a little bit more than him. But I like, mean, I get what you're saying, and it's like I think if Miami had a better alternative, like a, yeah. they're not dumb, right? But again, you at this point, what can you do? Find some other way. <laughs> like I, I you can't sign Devin Booker. You can't sign I'm Devin saying, Booker. I'm just saying, like, like, if you're gonna say find some other way, like you're gonna have to spell it out and hopefully Eric. Andre Iguodala makes more decisions than Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, you are no longer a person who makes decisions in this offense. You can cut. You can set screens. You can do but, uh, wait, X, aren't Y. Those, aren't those decisions though? Those are not ball. Those are not integral to the offense, so you're right? He you're shouldn't not, be handling the ball. Like, he does not need to be handling the ball. No, not at all. Or right, if he's handling the ball, so only he's a, a guy catch and shoot shooter, though. Not only catch and shoot, he can drive. But if he's like, you know, I don't need him dictating what happens that offensive possession. I, I like what's happening is he's the guard, right? And he's going out and he's driving the ball into the lane, straight into Anthony Davis, getting himself into an awkward position and chucking up a shot that has no chance of going in. Rather than that, let me have the ball in Andre Iguodala's hands, call for a screen from Kedrick Nunn, send him on a cut, do something else other than what's happening right now because every time he's on the court, I know what's about to happen and it's not good for the offense and it's digging yourself in a deeper hole than you're already in without Goran Dragic. There's no need to keep doing that. It's not working. I mean, I'll just cap it here is that um, the way Miami plays, it's almost impossible to, to tell a player to do less than what they do because their offense is so predicated on like shared responsibility and shared decision making. Um, there's not really one guy out there, even when they play Kelly Olynyk out there, um, who is doing less on that offense than anyone else really. Um, in terms of, you know, having to make decisions. He's worse than Kendrick Nunn. Damn. Mm. I mean, at, so at least Ke- at, at least Kendrick Nunn will, you know, make some shots. Kelly Olynyk is he he's I mean you called him he thinks he's Clay Thompson. I mean that's he definitely shoots it with like a confidence that I have no idea where it comes from. Like I'm like I would wish I could be that confident about my jumper he all the he's time. At, he's at Gonzaga. He po- <laughs> was he was he from Gonzaga? He seems yeah, like a Gonzaga yeah, yeah. ass player. I think so. Um but yeah, he pulls that thing like somebody gave him the green light like Kelly, you get the ball and you have an inch of space, you pull that thing. But it's like at the very least He'll drop a 20-piece for you. Whoa. 
I mean, he dropped 17. He, yeah, I mean, the dude, like, he's not, he's, he'll, <laughs> he'll make something, right? And even then, when we look at Kelly Olynyk, are they using Kelly Olynyk to initiate any offense? I mean, they use him as the, the, the bench the primary, player, right? like, And the primary, like, screener, roller. Exactly. Like, they have him like, running dribble handoffs. Handoffs, and sometimes he, like, fakes it, and then he drives and throws up yeah. some stupid... They have him screening, they have him rolling, they have him, you know, uh, uh, spreading out to the corners, spreading out to the three-point line. I mean, maybe I'm not well-versed enough in basketball to say what the alternative, but I'm, you know, intelligent enough and I have enough common sense to say, let's not keep beating on a dead horse. Let's not keep beating a dead horse and doing the same thing over and over when you're looking at a 3-1 series. And part of the reason is because when Kendrick Nunn comes in, you're you're making none happen. (laughs) But dumped. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Final question. How do you see Game 5 playing out? Is it Raps, NBA season over, Lakers champions? Or do you see... I hope Miami gets this next game. I'm not going to lie. You confuse um, me. <laughs> like, I watch the game and you're like, come on, Lakers. Yeah, they're like, come on, Heat. What are yeah, you doing? I it's mean, because like, in the moment, I'm a Lakers fan at heart. So when they do something stupid, it just pisses me off. Right. And it just makes me upset that AD and LeBron get hurt on every single other, like every other play. <laughs> they stay on the ground. AD gets hit in the eye and somehow he falls to the ground because somehow his eye is... His eye nerves are connected to his knees or something. So hey, man, he I, got I, discombobulated. So, it's fine. It I, happens. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I want to see a more competitive series. Obviously, the games and the game today and the score was close, but it still didn't feel competitive at the end. Mm-hmm. That that's the reason why. Like, I feel weird about this game, but I don't know. Ho- I, I hope it's like on some buzzer beater type. Type stuff. Mm, even yeah. if the Lakers win, we haven't. I mean, we haven't seen the only buzzer beater of the game that came down to a, of the last shot was the AD. that AD shot. And, and, and if that happens, then you know I'd be happy with the Lakers win. You know, I, I mean, I'm gonna be happy with the Lakers win either way. But you know, especially if it comes off like a game winner, send it home for Kobe and stuff. So that'd be dope. Yeah, I think we're in for another all-time great Jimmy Butler performance. I was gonna just say that. Yeah, I, I think that you know he's. Definitely cognizant of the fact that the, the the chips are down, backs are against the wall, and clearly he needs to take a bigger role. It doesn't take a genius to watch that game and say, Jimmy needs to assert himself more in the offense. At the very least, you need to go try to seek a little bit more fouls, right, like he did in game two. So I would definitely – I'm not sure if we'll quite see that 40-point triple-double again, but we're definitely in for a hell of a performance but I, out of Jimmy Butler. I equally would say we're in for like a 37-point performance from uh, AD. You think so? Yes, because I'm, I'm saying it's every other like third, fourth game this man pops off. So he's had two straight games of not performing well. So I feel like this is the next one. Well, you know if he does that, he's winning finals MVP. I hope so. Mm. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm with you there where I think Jimmy Butler, uh, the playing for – well, I mean, he, he's really just playing for um, just to survive, and, and that's really the ultimate Jimmy Butler. I mean, that's really like Jimmy Butler mentality, if you think about it, really just going out there playing to survive. And I feel like it's perfect for him to show up and, and, and have a huge game. And um, I think it's almost like Miami hasn't really felt uh, as a team that much of a sense of urgency this series yet, I feel like. And I think now that they're on the brink of elimination, uh, you'd think that they'd have to feel that sense of urgency. So um, I feel like they'll probably get game five, but then after that, it'll be interesting. Um, any last words? Uh, no. I mean, I don't know. This game was weird to me. Again, I don't know. I, I didn't really come away with much to say. Um, go Grizz. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't really have much to say either. Obligatory kind of... second Memphis shout out. Got to. Um, all right, so that'll do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. Thanks as always for listening. Um, as always, be sure to check out our social accounts on Twitter and Instagram at sqr1hoops. Uh, and thanks for listening again. We'll catch you next time.